A reading from the third chapter of the first epistle of Peter, beginning with the thirteenth verse. Now who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? But even if you do suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear, and do not be intimidated. But in your hearts, sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Keep your conscience clear so that when you are maligned, those who abuse you for your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if suffering should be God's will than to suffer for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which He also went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in former times did not obey when God waited patiently in the days of Noah. During the building of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were saved through water. And baptism, which this prefigured, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to Him. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It might seem like a weird way to begin, but hopefully when I get to the end, it'll make sense. You know, that's always the goal of this, that when I get to the end, it made sense. (laughs) Stories told about a little boy who was a liar. That's hard to believe, isn't it? All of you who've had little boys... But a story is told about a little boy who was such a bad liar that his parents had hit the end of their rope. They couldn't take it anymore. But they had noticed that when the little boy was at church, he told the truth. So it occurred to them, maybe we can confuse them. Maybe if we bring the pastor to the house, he'll think he needs to not tell lies at home too. And they said, you know what, maybe we should get the pastor to tell him a story about lying. So that's what the parents did. They talked to the pastor at the church. They said, Pastor, we want you to come to home and talk to our son about lying. So the pastor did. And he got there and they called the little boy out of his room into the living room and they all sat down on the, on the furniture with the plastic sheets over it. And the pastor looked at the little boy and said, Why do you tell so many lies? And the little boy said, I don't know. And he said, Well, let me tell you a story about something. That'd be okay. And the little boy said, Yeah. And the pastor said, Would you believe that this morning at church, while I was preaching, 
a big old giant grizzly bear came running up into the middle of church. And if that grizzly bear came running down to the front of church, and I thought it was going to eat me. But then I looked, and this little tiny chihuahua came running in behind that big giant grizzly bear. And son, would you believe that that little tiny chihuahua ran up there, grabbed a hold of that grizzly bear and whooped him, and then ate him. And the boy said, yes sir, that's my dog. (laughs) That's funny to us because we know that that's what lying is all about, right? Usually when children lie or when adults lie... We're after something. We're trying to get ourselves out of some kind of suffering that we know is on the way, right? I've told y'all before that the answer I always wanted to give my dad to the question is, what were you thinking was obviously I wasn't. But I knew that it would be worse, so I didn't tell him that. But over and over we run into that situation where suddenly we're held accountable for something that maybe we feel like we shouldn't be. So we tell a lie or we start thinking about slipping grandmama's china into our shorts. I thought about that one time. During the course of my ministry, I've had several parents say to me, I wish my child behaved at home like they behave at church. And I've always been tempted to say, I wish you behaved at home like you behaved at church. (laughs) But you can't do that. But we all know that when we leave here, the safety of this place, the sense of sanctuary we have here, the sense of community has potential to be broken by something that goes bad, something that goes wrong, something we didn't expect. We never see suffering coming. It always surprises us. It always catches up with us. And sometimes it's something we did to earn it. And sometimes not. And sometimes doing something good causes us to suffer. Sometimes doing what is right will put us at odds against our family. Sometimes it will put us at odds against our friends. Sometimes it will put us at odds against our co-workers. Sometimes we lose jobs because we do the right thing. And so now in our country we have something called a whistleblower law, right? It says you can't be fired for telling the government that your company's dumping oil in a river. It's hard sometimes to know That when we suffer, we join in Christ's suffering. Because Jesus suffered for doing the right thing. Jesus wasn't put to death for telling lies or doing bad things. He was put to death because He came and taught the people a kind of love that they didn't want to hear about. He challenged their sense of who God was. And challenged their sense of who they were. And they weren't very appreciative of that. And for doing the right thing, Jesus was nailed to a cross to do the right thing, which is to give our suffering meaning. When Peter begins this letter, in the first nine verses, he writes these words. This starts with um, the end of verse 2. He writes, May grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now Peter is writing to a people who are suffering, we will learn as we read on through the letter. But he wants them to know that his hope for them is that grace and peace will be theirs in abundance. Not in the future, but right now. How in the world can Peter hope for them that in the midst of their suffering, suffering they can't do anything about, because their only option to undo the suffering is to deny Jesus. 
Their only option to get out of suffering is to say they're going to stop following Jesus. Because that's why this local church is suffering, because they believe that Jesus is the Messiah of the Hebrew people. So Peter tells them, grace and peace be with you. And this is why he says grace and peace can be with them. Listen to these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By His great mercy He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you have had to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith being more precious than gold that though perishable is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. For you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter writes those words of hope to a church that is suffering, to people who doubt their lives, whether or not they can have life and follow Jesus, their physical right now life. And he says to them, there's something greater than that. To not fear, but keep on living. Don't fear as they fear. Don't fear as people who have no hope. But live, he says to them, because grace and peace can be yours, because Jesus suffered and died and has been raised. You too! will be raised out of your suffering and your death. So he can write to them and say, grace and peace are with you. You do not have to fear. And these words can seem like they're not of great consequence for us because the likelihood of us being put to death when we walk out of our church is pretty small. But around the world, that's not true. Around the world, there are Christians worshiping today who when they leave their house could be arrested for it and tried for it. And this assurance for them is that Jesus is alive. And because of that, there's hope for them and there's hope for us. And in the face of their suffering, we might ask, why in the world are we so afraid to risk what He asks us to do in today's reading? To simply give an account of that hope. To talk to people about the fact that we believe that Jesus is alive. That though He was put to death, He has been raised. Which brings us back to this hymnal that I talked with the kids about earlier. And how Wesley had that hope that he would hear a thousand tongues sing the praise of God. And he had that hope because for him, the articles of the creed were truth. He believed in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. He could sing this hymn that we just sang. Listen to these words. If we believe the resurrection, then we 
can believe and sing these words. I'm looking for the coming of Christ. I want to be with Jesus. When we have run with patience the race, we shall know the joy of Jesus. In Him there is no darkness at all. The night and the day are both alike. The Lamb is the light of the city of God. Shine in my heart, Lord Jesus. Peter writes to the persecuted church around the world and us who, frankly, the greatest persecution we might have is for one of our neighbors to call us a Jesus freak. And if that happens, just say thank you. He calls us to remember that Christ has died and Christ has been raised and Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father for us. And because of that, we have a living hope and His name is Jesus. And we need nothing to fear from sharing our faith. Nothing to fear from standing up and giving an account for the hope that we have. And we come to that creed, if those words are true, if we can say that the third day He rose from the dead from the bottom of our heart, if we can say that from the seat of our joy, from the seat of our peace, from the seat of everything good, and our emotions, and all of that, if we can say that with true belief that God has raised Him from the dead, then we have hope no matter what we suffer. Though they put us to death, we will be raised. If we can come to the end of that creed and say that we believe in the Holy Spirit, that we believe in the universal church of Christ, that all people who call on Jesus' name are Christ's assembly of the world, that He will keep them, that He will preserve them through the faith, Peter says, that's given to us. If we believe that, if we believe in the communion of saints, that we're in this together, that you and I and Christ and all of our loved ones who have gone before are one in Christ, if we believe that, then we cannot be beaten and our suffering will have meaning because we suffer together. And in our suffering together, we see the suffering of Christ and we can wait then for the resurrection that will happen in us. Because we believe in the forgiveness of sin. And if we believe that our sins are forgiven, how in the world can we not share that good news with others that their sins and the things that weigh them down and still their life can be forgiven? All leading to the resurrection of the body. And dear ones, if we believe that our bodies will be raised, what threat does the world have against us? Can the world kill us? Can the world lay us in the dust forever? If Christ has been raised and we will be raised, then the world has no threat to offer us. Nothing it can say, nothing it can do can be a true and real threat for us. And so Peter can say to us, do not fear what they fear. Live. Live. Do not be intimidated, but in your heart worship Christ as Lord. That's what that word sanctify means. It means to set Christ apart as your Lord, not the earth, not your fears, not your finances, not your securities, not your political party, nothing but Jesus. And just like Stephen, we're called today by Peter to put our first allegiance in Jesus. 
And not to back down when it might cost us our life because we have a living hope. Jesus is alive. He is risen. Christ is risen. And because of that, dear ones, we don't have to fear, but we can truly live for Jesus. Not just for ourselves, not just for our own safety, not just for our own sakes, but for Jesus. So Peter reminds us this, that our baptism is a guarantee to us of a clear conscience before God. A conscience achieved for us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who He says has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to Him. Dear ones, if you are in Christ, you are safe no matter what comes. Do not fear, but live for Him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.